we'll eventually get to 2 Samuel chapter 21. <clears throat> I have a lot of other verses before we uh, get there. I'll try to give you those. Uh, I have them all printed out, but I'll try to give you those so that you can turn to those, give you a little bit of advance warning. Uh, The main text, though, will be 2 Samuel 21. We'll be starting in Numbers 23. Um, In a minute, we're going to be talking and we're going to be reading about a broken promise. So the doctrine or the teaching that we will consider is that the arm of flesh will fail us. Broken promises. But I don't, I don't want that to be the overshadowing thing that we see because we want to see, what we want to see is we want to see Jesus. We want to see God. We want to then look away from this lesson that man is, will fail us. We want to look to the God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who do not break promises. That's what we want to see is who do we then look to? We want to we use these sad stories to then look away from those to the God of hope. Let's pray again. Lord, I do pray that you would uh, give strength and you would bless for your glory. Bless these people. Lord, your people. Lord, for your, for your sake, for your glory, strengthen us, help us, and use us. In Christ's name, amen. So what is supposed to occupy our thoughts when we read about Saul, who was a promise breaker? Is the main thing that's going to occupy our thoughts the wickedness of Saul and, and quite frankly, all men? We can all think of times when we've had broken promises given to us. Should that be our focus? Or should our eyes look away from the weakness of Saul to the strength of God? Now, we should see both. I think we should see both. But the faithfulness of God is what should dominate our horizon and thoughts, his glory. God, the promise keeper. So I'm going to give you your dessert first so that when we see the awfulness of sin, it is overshadowed by the holiness and faithfulness of God. So maybe, maybe the cherry pie can linger as you eat the spinach or the liver and onions or whatever, okay? <laughs> the, well, the liver and onions isn't healthy, but anyway, the healthy food that's come, the thought, the difficult things that we have to accept. Man is sinful, and ugly things happen because of sin. Look at Numbers 23, 19, and 20. Numbers 23, 19, and 20. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. It's from the mouth of the evil prophet Balaam when he was forced by God to pronounce a blessing on the people of God. God is a promise keeper. Those who trust in him have sure promises and are his people. 
Every single promise to every single person is fulfilled through the Son of God. I want us to see that first. Every single promise to every single person is fulfilled through the Son of God because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In God's forbearance, he forgave the sins of those who sinned before the cross and atonement was made. But even every believer in God before the cross had to go through the cross of Christ to come to God and to receive any promise. Moses, David, and every other person prior to the death of Christ on the cross needed the cross. I won't go there, but you can read that there in in Romans 3, 26. Paul tells the Corinthians that he is not a liar and that he has been copying the image of Christ, being true to his promises. In so doing, he proclaims who he is copying. He proclaims who he's copying. He says, look, I'm copying him. I'm not lying to you. I'm being truthful because I'm, I am copying the one who has all truth and is perfectly truthful. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll look at that. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20 says, But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him, in him, are yea, and in him, amen, and so be it, unto the glory of God by us. In him. Paul didn't tell them yes and then tell them no, just as in Christ every promise is only yes and never turns to no. It is important that we notice the phrase in him in verse 20. There will be no wicked men in heaven. Either your sins are removed through the blood of Christ and his righteous life and Holy Spirit have been given to you or you are without hope. In Acts 15, there is a dispute that is settled. We dealt with that in Sunday school. I try to to make things kind of go together through all three Sunday school and the two messages. So there is this dispute that is settled. Do the Gentiles need to take the sign of the Old Testament covenant in order to receive, or that's kind of double wording there, Old Covenant, uh, to receive the promise, promises that were given by God? Peter argues from the experience he had with the Gentile Cornelius when God taught Peter that God can even cleanse Gentiles through faith. Then James follows it up with a proof from Scripture. So go back to Acts chapter 15. We dealt with this a little bit briefly in Sunday school, but Acts 15, 5 through 18. It says, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. 
Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles had and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Of the world. So James is quoting from Amos 9.11 and applying it to Gentiles in his day. Amos 9.11 says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David, David's house, that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. Every promise of God is sure and is yes, but only in Christ, only through Christ. If you are a Gentile, you can rejoice if you know Christ because you are called by God's name and has put no difference between us and them, purifying our hearts by faith. <clears throat> Every promise. Ephesians 2. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3 considering this. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18 says... Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time you, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. What, prom- what covenants of promise? The ones given to the Israelites. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one. What? The two peoples. Two peoples of God. The one people of God from two peoples. And hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he hath reconciled both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, both Jew and Gentile, one body. Partakers. We're straight. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Notice in verse 18, the Trinity. For through him, our Lord, our Lord Jesus, we both have access by one spirit 
unto the Father. The Trinity loves us and keeps us and keeps every promise. Man will fail us, but God keeps every promise. Paul goes on to firmly establish our hope in Christ alone in chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. We'll read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll skip down to 14. But Ephesians 3, 1 through 6 says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And on down to verses 14 and 15 in Ephesians 3. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Everyone's named. That wonderful name, our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth. What wonderful promises that we've been given. Now let's consider man as a promise breaker. Saul is a promise breaker. He is a very great promise breaker. Some men are great promise breakers, some are less, but everyone at some time will fail us. The arm of flesh will fail us. Now this is an important lesson as well. It's not the most important lesson. I gave that to you first. God is not a promise breaker. Saul had promised his older daughter Merab to David and then gave her to another man in 1 Samuel 18. He gave away David's promised wife to Adriel, the Maholothite. He gave away David's promised wife to Adriel, the Maholothite. The first one, first oldest daughter. This is important who she was given to because it is part of the ironic and sad twist of events later when Saul breaks a promise again. Apparently, Saul's oldest daughter, Merab, would have five sons with Adriel. But Merab would die, and Saul's second daughter, Michal, would raise them for her sister. This is very ironic. Merab was supposed to marry David, in fact, promised to David, and then not given to him, and have children with him. But instead, she was given to Adriel. She married Adriel and had children with him. Then, the daughter that David did marry, Michal, or Michael as some say, raised the sons of Adriel and never had sons from David. And these are the grandchildren of Saul, but not from David. Even though both of the women promised to David raised the five sons that were from the man that was that she was given to and she was supposed to be given to David or his five sons 
So Saul is their grandfather, but David is not their father. Ironically, these five sons were born to the first daughter Saul promised and broke his promise and raised by the second daughter. Even with her, Saul broke his promise and gave her to someone else after David was married to her, but David went and got her back. This promise-breaking pattern of Saul is going to be visited on his children, especially these five sons birthed by one daughter and raised by the other. Back in the time of Joshua, when the Israelites were conquering the land, remember the Gibeonites had tricked the Israelites into thinking they had come from long ways away. They wore old shoes and had old bread. Remember that story? The Israelites fell for it and made the Gibeonites a promise that they would not kill them. Even though their lie was discovered, the Israelites had already promised, and a promise is a promise, and God made them honor it. God made the Israelites honor this promise to the Gibeonites, even though the Gibeonites had deceived them. Now fast forward about 400 years to Saul, and Saul decides that he wants to do some ethnic cleansing. Be going to 2 Samuel 21. 2 Samuel 21. So we fast forward about 400 years to Saul, and Saul decides that he wants to do some ethnic cleansing and get rid of the Gibeonites instead of honoring the promise, or the covenant, if you would, made 400 years ago. He tries to eradicate them and presumably has a lot of them killed. And then God says this, and God does this in 2 Samuel 21, 1 through 9. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered. You know, by the way, I think sometimes it's very helpful for us to ask God why. Because maybe we need to know. And the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them. And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? So he's trying to right a wrong here because they're having three years of famine. And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us, meaning Saul, and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any coast, any of the coast of Israel. Let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath that was between them, because he was going to keep his promise, okay, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, 
whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons, there's those five sons, and the five sons of Michal, the ones that she was, that she was raising um, for Merab, her older sister, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholathite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord, and they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. God is a God of justice. We have to be sure that our sins will find us out. If we make a promise, keep it. If you make a promise, keep it. But why is God so strict about keeping promises? That brings us to the third and final point. So the first point, God keeps all his promises through Christ. Second point, man is a promise breaker. The arm of flesh will fail you. Some more, some less. And the third point, God is serious about this because we represent him. The Israelites represented God as God's people and they broke a promise they had made. It's about God's glory. There is a general sense in which all of mankind is supposed to represent God because we're made in his image. There is also a specific sense in which those who are his people called by his name, we are those called by his name, represent him. So first consider the general sense. When man was created, as we read in Genesis, man was made in the image of God. In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In a minute, we'll be going to 1 Peter chapter 2. So what is the main purpose of man anyway? It is to glorify God by proclaiming who he is. He made us in his image so that we could display what he is like. Catechism number one. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God. We were supposed to proclaim his holiness by being holy. We were supposed to proclaim love by being loving. God is love. We were supposed to proclaim his wisdom by being wise. We were supposed to proclaim his creativity starting with the naming the animals and tending a garden. But we ended up creating chaos and sin, getting away from that mark. God's glory, proclaiming God's glory, our purpose as human beings to bear his image. The good news is, is that Christ can reclaim our purpose. We that know him are reborn. We have We are his holy people. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's our purpose? Show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, speaking of the Gentiles, 
but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We are his specific. We are God's peculiar people or specific possession. We're his specific possession, a possession for a purpose. To show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's have our conversation honest among the Gentiles. Let's be a holy nation. If we make promises, let's keep them. I'm just going to, you know how you know how the Apostle Paul, he does a lot of theology and then he does a little bit of practical application after that as his manner is. I'm going to kind of follow that and I'm going to give you a couple of areas that we can, we can consider. I've got three minutes to do it. Um, <clears throat> Do you know that when you joined this church, you made a promise? We have a church covenant, which is a promise. Church covenant for Sherwood Baptist Church. Having been led, as we believe, by the Holy Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage or illegal drugs, to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and Christian courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. You know, I think all of us probably had somewhere in there when I was reading all those promises that we made, went, hmm, I don't know that I did that, especially when I was unloving. I mean, that pretty much covers it all right at the very beginning. So some will keep it well, others less. But all will stand before God to give an answer, and all should keep their promises in the sight of their children. Not all Baptist churches have the same church covenant. Mark Dever has an excellent article on it if you're interested. I can send you a link if you would like one. 
you know, that's one of many promises that we make in life. Uh, another one of those is marriage. <clears throat> I know this can be painful to those of you who have gone through a divorce. This is not an attack or condemnation. You don't need that. But there are some who will someday get married, and I want them to know the importance of making a promise. When I was preparing for my wedding, Brother Paul asked me if I had my wedding vows. I told him that I wanted to write something. I think I meant that I wanted to add something to the standard vows. And he said something meaningful to me. I don't remember the exact words he said, but he said, make sure you actually state a promise. Actually state a promise that you're making because it is a covenant. It is a promise you're making. To have and to hold, you know, all that. I guess we can read that. I wrote it down here. We, we got time. This is a, these are normal standard wedding vows. To the groom, you have them repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I, fill in the blank, take you, fill in the blank. To me, my lawful wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. And therefore I pledge you, it's a promise, my love and faithfulness. And to the bride, to be my lawful wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health. To love and to obey till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. And therefore, I pledge you my love and faithfulness. So we copy Jesus. We be holy as he is holy. We keep our promises. You know, another area is contracts and legal agreements that we might make. If we make a promise, if we make a legal agreement, we keep it. Because we bear his image. God the promise keeper. So the world and the devil will promise us many things. The devil's the promise breaker. Okay. <laughs> he's a liar. In other words, he's a liar. And he'll promise you many things. It's lies. So do you believe the father of lies, the devil, or do you believe Christ? I'm going to read the words from the song, All I Have is Christ. I know I've read this a couple of other times. I love these words. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life. So the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place you bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see 
The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. And let my song forever be. My only boast is you. Do you know him? Do you have his strength? Yeah, we fail. We all fail. Aren't you, aren't you grateful that we can run to the cross? Aren't you grateful that we can plead the blood, he forgives, and we get back up? And we seek to bear his image. To be conformed to the image of Christ. Do you want that? And you don't have it? I'm happy to talk to you anytime. No, we don't have an invitation system or invitation service. Invitation's always open. I'll talk to you anytime. You can call me at 3 a.m. I'll talk to you. My wife will be happy to wake me up and tell me my phone is ringing. It's always open. Flee to the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we...